life finds a way though. life finds a way you know what there's there's probably a, a lesson to be learned about when you just say to hell with it everything works out so mm-hmm. mm. just do it that's where uh, that's where the whole do it live adage came from just do it live we'll just do it live mm-hmm. live without a net mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then it's this things went bad they said hey, let's do it live with a five second delay <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably good call. just in case hello and welcome to geeks camp the home of rpg jargon and general tomfoolery i'm your host zach and i'm joined by my co-hosts Partners in Crime, the Dwarven DM, John Christian. Good evening, everyone. And Yon Dapper DM, Troy Sandlin. Lolly hoo ha. <laughs> Thanks. That's no, cool. That, I, mean, I, I try. I tried to straighten it up just a little bit, and then that, you did I, did I get it wrong? No. Nope. Oh, okay. it's great. It's perfect. So, General yeah. General Tom Fulery, is that uh, was he in the Civil War? Or the revolutionary. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh civil. You got it right. First. He was like the he was the, the the general that like Leroy Jenkins and he was the first general to actually be lost That's during the That's where the War. term tomfoolery came from was this this general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh so this is gonna be our one regular I'll say it this way. This is the only time for the rest of the month that we're gonna be live streaming just a regular episode. Um, the rest of this month, uh, we're giving over to interviews, and maybe we cram uh, a recording in between interviews somewhere. Um, but but this this is gonna feel uh, 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 it's gonna be a while before we do this again in this way. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I want to get that out of the way. At the beginning, and and with that, a reiteration that this Sunday, January twenty third, set your clocks, set your afternoons, lock away your afternoon, your evening, and your late evening, and then get ready to do it all over again on Tuesday because we are doing a ton of interviews the rest of this mm-hmm. week with a bunch of creators uh, of RPG content. Um, right now, we've got about sixteen people signed up. And we have slots for a few more. So it's going to be madness. madness. I love it. We did it last year. It was great. Yeah. Was great. Yeah, but we did it all in one day last year. That's true. That's true. And, That's and true. it was madness. And you said what? 16 total? Is that what we're up to? 16, I think, is where we're sitting right now. What were we last um, year? 13? 13. We did 12 or 13. Some more in. We got to squeeze some more in somewhere. Yeah. So I have, I have my eyes on the cup. So, uh, I'm I'm just gonna I'm I'm thinking that we had talked about, you know, this year doing you know, doing it again mm-hmm. and we were shooting for a lot. And you know, yeah. we we're, we're only doing we're only doing sixteen and that's because of the postponement of mm-hmm. Zine Quest by uh, Kickstarter. They're pushing yeah. it back to August. Mm-hmm. So so th- this will be part one of our feast of zines. Mm-hmm. Kind of and a, kind of a deal. let's be clear, ZineQuest put Kickstarter pushed ZineQuest back to August, but there's a lot of creators, including some of us and our team, that are sticking to February. Mm-hmm. Uh, ZineQuest is now Zine Month in February, 
and it's a real thing, Zemo, as you might see it passed around on the interwebs. Uh, but you should go, I think Zemo.com is a website that is all geared up and is going to help you find what projects are still happening in February, not just on Kickstarter, uh, but across all of the crowdfunding platforms. Are you saying <clears throat> Zemo? Zemo? Gotcha. Yeah. You used to put a Jolly Rancher in it. That's really good. Gross. So gross. It's like almost as bad as a Fresca. <laughs> oh, no. That's why you had to put the Jolly Rancher hey, in and give us some flavor. Frescas are reasonable. Frescas uh, were good until I remember I, sitting out at lunch and having a can of it and being like, I actually enjoyed it whenever I first drank it. And then a, a friend of mine, friend, quote unquote, he poured like half a bottle of uh, a shaker of salt into it. Oh, I hated Fresca after that with a passion. Oh. I could never look at it the same way. Yeah, yeah. my mom drinks Fresca. Still? Yeah. It's still a thing? Still, yeah. Like it's Mr. My folks, my folks have Fresca in their fridge mm-hmm. every day. Uh, yeah. there's a, there is a part of me that's grossly curious about what it tastes like. If I remember, if it tastes like Crystal Pepsi or... And Gurk, like I have no idea why Zach would have admitted to drinking Fresca. That's... <laughs> It's all right. It's not like what's the new Fresca that's even worse than Fresca? The White Claw? The, no, no, no. Fresca <laughs> is a soda, John. I'm talking about another uh, like lightly flavored water. Lacroix. Lightly flavored water. Lacroix. Yeah. Lacroix. Yeah. 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 Okay. That 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 is what you remember Fresca tasting like. I don't remember Fresca, Fresca tasting is, light is, flavored at all. Yeah. Well, no. anyhow, we like could, a, It was like a a, a Sprite upstart. Like that yeah. citrusy kind yeah, of vibe yeah. to it, right? It, yeah. Isn't it like grapefruit? Isn't it like a grapefruit? Sort of I don't know. What no, it is. it's not no, grapefruit. It's like... And uh, there is a um, there's a peach. <laughs> Bear trying. My wife says the trailer park sangria is cheap red wine and fresco. You're not wrong. You ain't lying. <laughs> you ain't lying there. Just just cut up some cut some old fruit. Toss it in That's there. Right, man. That's mm-hmm, it. Good. Pull the bottom drawer out of your refrigerator. Yeah, <laughs> clean out that bathtub real good. <laughs> uh, no, there's a peach fresca that's actually okay. That's what I'll I'll put a caveat in. There's a peach fresca. So there's more right. than one fresca now. There's a lot of frescas. Yeah. That's wow. Um, I did not know that there was more than one flavor. I haven't fresca. seen. I haven't seen one in like 20 years. Yeah. Well, I will bring you myth. some at Winter Fantasy. I don't know that you should. I'm I'm, I'm not sure we'll how about it. Really now that we're talking about it in the fair state of Indiana. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a we'll have a we'll have a fresco party. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Well, br- I'll brace myself for it. God yeah. help us all. So where's those, uh, where's where's those rails? Yeah, right. What rails? Let's, let's find them. Let's find them. I think we're like we're riding two right. wheels that, on the rails at this point, ready to tear off. Have we got? Have we even yeah. got to the train station yet? Yeah. Speaking of sugary drinks, uh, Troy. You ran the expanse. I'm, this is not going to work, but we're going to go with it. You ran the expanse what? over the holiday. Um, uh, the expanse RPG. Yeah. Um, John, you ran Tales from the Loop. That was a garbage segue. <laughs> <laughs> For a moment there, I, everybody. You were, every, I think were both glued. Troy yeah, and like, I were both sitting here kind of like leaning forward. Like, how the, the hell is he going to do this? Where's, where's the he going? <laughs> Crazy nope, unraveled. Unraveled so, completely. No, no. Uh, so we ran three systems, right? We ran Tales from the Loop. We ran Morkborg. We ran the Expanse. Um, I had ran a, some Morkborg a little bit before, but I ran 
uh, a good chunk more um, over the holidays. Um, Troy, you learned and ran the Expanse for the first time. John, you've uh, you've fallen in love with Tales from the Loop for a while now, but this was the first time you had actually gotten to run it, right? So yeah, oh, yeah you got to run I, it a couple times, maybe over the holiday. But, no, I, I, yeah, I never, I never had run it before, but it's something that it always intrigued me. I loved the mm-hmm. art, and yeah. uh, I've had the book, I've had the core book before anybody knew what Tales from the Loop was. I got it in like the bargain bin at my local game store for like ten wow. bucks. They were just trying to get rid of it. Hmm. And um, and I love it. Oh, they didn't. They had no idea what kind of a diamond they had in the rough. It's great. I mean, awesome. they should have just looked on where it said Free League and said, "Oh yeah." Well, they now for sure. Free League took a while to get. Like, like I'm not saying that there weren't Free League diehards early on, but it took a yeah. while for them to become. Sure. The the company, right? Like mm-hmm. like the one that we all. It's like any one. Where do you start, right? You yep. got to start creating a catalog of IPs and of your own, and of uh, licensing others in order to mm-hmm. make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot um, to unpack. I'll, I'll kind of I'll hold off. I'll reserve uh, my statements until my turn. But I, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed running it for the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I want to. I don't think that we'll devote much time to it, but let's do this um, before we get into those three, which will kind of be the meat and potatoes of this episode. Did you run? Did either of you? I, I ran a couple things, and I'll briefly touch on it. But did either of you run anything else over the holiday that you would make a note of here uh, of interest? I did not. Mm-hmm. I did not. Run, I didn't run anything else. Um, I. Did we play Alien yeah. over the holiday? Right before, remember. right before Christmas. Yeah. So yeah. I play. I played Alien. Um, didn't run anything else. Uh, read through the Expanse, and I, I was trying to decide between the Expanse and Simbarum. Mm-hmm. Um, which we'll get in. Which I, I, ran, I will definitely run Simbarum at some point. Yeah, I ran uh, really, really short adventures, like two to three hour long sessions for some of the local folks here. I ran one of from of uh, Five Torches Deep Ooh. to kind of get my my beak wet when I for uh, for Gary Khan running that, and then uh, I also ran a, another short sh- session of uh, Tiny Dungeon from the Tiny D six system. And, I mean, again, it was more theater of the mind, really, really easy, not a ton of prep. And I mean that, since, like even in John terms, mm-hmm. there was not much, not much prep to either one of them. The mechanics are pretty simple, and so a lot of it is just riffing off of one another. Mm-hmm. I think cool. more than anything else, and try to get like with five torches deep. Try to stay really OSR, very deadly. I had like mm-hmm. four players in each one, and I and in five torches deep, I lost three. There was the survivor girl was the one that mm-hmm. made it out. Um, That's cool. cool. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I didn't know that. That's that's great. So you got you got a good variety in over the holiday break. That's yeah. I'm just trying like I kind of I'm like uh, I'm with Zach, right? Like I'm trying to learn more systems, right? I, mm-hmm. I think uh, for me, I think I've said this before on the show, but I mean we've had I played I've been running games for almost thirty years, but it was primarily D and D. Like mm-hmm. not not even primarily. Like there was just like a handful of things here and there, and then running a couple in between there. But I have a friend of mine that would try to push 
like systems on it. Like, dude, you got to try this. You got to play this. And I, my eyes, my eyes would glaze over and I'd lose interest really quick because it wasn't D and D. Right. Because that's just my butter zone in my, my comfort area, our comfort zone. So, um, what I'm trying to do more of now is like these other genres that are out there that D and D just can't, I mean, maybe you could, it just can't do the same kind of justice to it. Maybe not as mm. much justice or more or less or whatever, but really enjoyed running in different systems and in different campaign settings or in system, or, uh, system settings, not campaign settings, mm. but I've really, I've really enjoyed that a lot lately. I think then only in the last year really have I started mm. branching out and doing more of that. What I find myself doing now though, this is like, probably blasphemy but like not caring about playing D D more and more like not not at all i would never she's she's my first love I'll, I'll always love her but i'm like if i if i had the choice between playing a session uh running a session of like forbidden lands which i haven't done yet but i've been reading the books uh, after running tales from the loop mm-hmm. but like if i had to choose between forbidden lands and a session of dnd oh, i want to run some forbidden lands that's cool yeah you know what I think? I think that uh, Bear Droid taking 5e fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think it's also like the discovery of more systems. And like mm-hmm. the more you start dabbling, the more you find that you like to dabble. Mm-hmm. I think, um, at least for some folks. But I think the other thing is D&D 5e is in a weird spot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I would, I think that the community, at least a subset of the community, feels like we're in a plateau mm. and we are getting ready to scale a 5.5 or a sixth edition mountain mm-hmm. in a couple of years. Yeah. And it's not that we don't enjoy it. Um, I, I fully intend on running plenty of 5e this year, um, but it's really, there's a question mark of what, we're looking ahead to as an example, and we don't do news anymore, but here we go. Um, I was reading an article that uh, Nerdarchy posted today, and they said that they were, co- that it has been confirmed that even though we're getting an updated player's handbook, updated monster manual, they've used the words backwards compatible now, mm-hmm. yeah, but, but here's the interesting thing right now. There are no plans to update the SRD to match revisions. Hmm. What does that mean? Hmm. Um, it means that there will become a growing rift between official D&D content and third-party D&D content. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, um, they have said that all monsters and all player characters are going to get a power boost for the revision. Everything is getting stronger. Everything's going to hit harder. Everything's going to be better. So rising in parallel, you might not feel like the monsters are easier to take down or whatnot. But what does that mean? It means that even though they're saying backwards compatible, it means that your players are going to be more powerful. So if you have an old book or a third-party book that's still using SRD rule sets, your characters are going to trounce it. On top of that, they have also said that they are completely redoing the challenge rating system mm. and it will not be based off the same things so oh, thank any God. well i mean we all agree that old cr is bad but again these are all things that make dnd a question mark and it's that question mark is starting as of this week or yeah i think it's this week next week next week with morning 
book, right? Like that's the start of all this. This is the start of this. How is this all going to work? And when there's all these question marks, especially in the minds of the DMs, I think that that creates an opening until those question marks are resolved. It creates an opening for what's something simple that I don't have to like think about, uh, you know, how am I going to interpret this? Um, and, uh, I, I, I think that's why we're seeing people doing quick shifts. I don't think they're long-term shifts. Like you said, John, I think mm-hmm. there's always going to be a first love of D and D to some extent for most people. Um, but I think people gravitate towards what's easy. I mean, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, you know, I, 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 even though I played the crap out of some fourth edition whenever it was out, I did. I played like my long-term three-year campaign was in fourth edition, and I just heard I got beat around the head and ears by my players every single session. How much they hated it, the combat, and everything like that. So whenever they tell me like power, like a significant bump in power, I immediately go to fourth edition. That's like yeah. that's I get PTSD from that. I like the, <laughs> well, the the power bump that happened from third to fourth was radically like, like a radical shift. Yeah, but like what Zach said, if they're increasing the power of the monsters and the character classes, but they did what, that. What does that What does that mean? I mean, I'm not I'm not poo pooing. Like, what I'm saying is like it's like I'm snake bit is what it really is because they did the same thing with the monsters too, and what that turned into was. Really, really long combats that were like two hours, three hours long, overly tactical. Well, everybody's like a just big bag of blood, just trying ca- to beat the blood out of each other. Hope, hopefully, hopefully they've learned their lesson from that, and it's more like what we've seen some of the newer stat blocks that looking like, yeah. where they've taken mm-hmm. spells and things like that and made them into actions now what i don't agree with is the fact that oh we've made them an action now so they're no longer spells that to me is just stupid yeah i mean they're learning lessons i'm excited for what it's turning into i think especially from the mechanic side of things i think there's some really interesting things that they're approaching and i'm I'm always going to be excited for a new edition i don't i'm not one of those people that wants to live in an edition for Mm -hmm. you know like i'm ready let's do sixth like I know I've got a book full of a shelf full of books, but let's 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 do another one. Uh, but uh, the scary thing for me is when they said the SRD isn't changing because yeah. if that doesn't get addressed, it will. Uh, Bear Droid is saying the 4E Pathfinder Rift. That's a real thing here. That's part two right there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, community well, didn't end up taking it up. Someone, one person will end up carrying the torch. Well, I kind of feel like you know. Ian world with uh, their five E level up, the level up. Yeah, I mean maybe that's kind of you know, it's 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 a whole system. It's just like what Pathfinder was during three five. So yeah, you know that could be a thing. Yeah, and Ulysses is saying like the idea of you know getting to play in other sandboxes with other themes is is appealing right mm-hmm. something other than high fantasy um 100 agree with that um so I'll, I'll, I'll use that as a segue real quick then how about that um oh. uh into i got to experiment with a few settings that i'll just lightly gloss over before we get into others um the one that i'll segue with is um i'm prepping to play in a one ring 2e game 2e i just need to drop the 2e i think i think it's just one ring I think I feel better with that. Or the second ring. Two rings. Two rings. The two rings. 
two ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two um, one rings. Two one rings. Um, one two ring. One two ring. Um, yeah. I that system is really interesting, and I've I've just scratched the surface, but the way that it communicates what a player character is is so dramatically different than D and D that that alone it is it's fascinating right because they're mm-hmm. both i mean like we just got done i just ra- got done wrapping up two middle earth 5e campaigns right so i'm i've got as close a comparison as one can make and when you sit down to do the 2e book uh the 2-1-e 2-1 ring um and you look at what is what are they communicating about player races player classes or they don't even call them classes they're called callings and things like that it's just really really fascinating so uh i'll I'll give a nod to that i'm waiting on my official book still so um uh but diving into that fully i got to run some more alien bunch more alien over the last couple months uh best system for to fit theme out there in my opinion uh and then uh um one two uh do yeah dune is going good uh, there will be a how to play video on Dune coming in our near future. And my hope, right, we've had kind of a saga, right, on this channel. And even privately, we've had more of a saga about our experience, getting experience with 2D20 and Dune in yeah. particular. Um, and my hope is that when we get that how to play out um, and people watch it, maybe we can make that system and that game a little bit more approachable. Um, because I think of all the games I've ever played, even Pathfinder, I think the 2D20 system has the highest learning curve. So um, we're going to try to do our part to make that. Yeah. Conceptual. I, 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 yeah, conceptually, yes, because yeah. it's, it's de- a, a huge departure more, from what I'm used to. There's certainly more depth to Pathfinder, right? There's more... There's more to Pathfinder once you once you're in there. Yeah. <laughs> There's 87 player classes and yeah. whatever. But but to learn how do you play this game in a standard session it's, with Pathfinder, I can give somebody a D20 and be like, roll that. Yep. <laughs> There's your answer. That's not how. Anyhow, we're getting off track. But um, I think we're at a point now where that system is really good, and hopefully, I can help get people there. Cool. All right. So. Shove that to the side. Let's talk Expanse. Let's talk Tales from the Loop. And let's talk more Borg. Um, do you fellows... I, I was going to run these, just talk about these in order of how we played them. Mm-hmm. Or when we played them. Do you have? Do you feel like that's a fine way to do it? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Uh, so let's start with Morkborg. Um, so I, I'll say that I got to run it for some of the people in our community. I also got to run it for some of my home crews. Um, so got to run quite a bit over of it over the holiday. Neither of you two yahoos, correct me if I'm wrong, because I ran a lot of it. This point, neither, neither of you two yahoos got to play in it yet. So this is a new experience. Um, but we've talked about it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um should I kind of like? I'm trying to think about the best way to go through this. Should should we talk about like maybe what I what my expectations were going into it, and then yeah, what what, what, what were I, you expecting, and, and what at the end of it, 
did you feel like it met your expectations? What met your expectations? What missed your expectations? And what really surprised you? Okay, yeah. Um, so expectations were, I mean, I'd read the book already. I kind of knew what I was getting into. But when you're in a game, it's always, you're always that surprise, right? So I think the things that I was expecting was high body count, um, really simple mechanics, and um, uh, 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 having to kind of create a bunch of stuff on the fly because they're in, all the adventures written for it, the book itself really doesn't give you meat. It gives you the skeleton, and you're, you put the meat on, right? Um, what I learned or what I discovered was that um, there is a high death count or there is a high body count potential, but once we actually started playing, I realized a couple of things. First off, player characters are going to be pretty tough just because I think by design in Morkborg, a lot of the enemies are uh, minion or minion-esque or just aren't quite up to snuff. And because the players are always rolling the dice... Um, and, and there's kind of this threshold of like, hey, there's a there's a there's a there's a kind of a standardization of what a player needs to do to succeed. Um, what I found is that the monsters miss a ton. They miss a ton. That's the reality. Um, and so your two hit points could last you the entire combat because the monsters could just miss, 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 miss. Or they could, you know, and there's things that can adjust that but but really that's entirely possible that you could be in the thick of a fight and walk out the other side um, and then also just realizing that you know their short rest and long rest mechanics are very great generous with the hit points that they get back um, and they baked into some of the classes some healing options that might happen mm-hmm. um, so all of that kind of con- like comes together into a system that Really, and there's a broken system that's kind of a half step between alive and dead. Um, so all those things together kind of make it to where the body count doesn't have to be super high. So that was a learning experience. Um, the system is as simple as I expected. Um, I think the big, the, the, the thing that was very informative to me, uh, now having read like a dozen different Morkborg adventures and, 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 really diving deep into the system is the core of the system is about random tables and randomly generated encounters. And because of that, a lot of the material that's out there really gives you a lot of stuff to, to make that job easier, right? Like there's a lot of random tables giving you a lot of inspiration and those tables are so jam packed with quality content, quality ideas um, that I found thus far that running a game isn't alpha random tables is actually pretty great and pretty easy. Um, And that's not something that I had done a lot of before. So do you think that uh, being able, you know, running running a game off of just random tables and whatnot? Do you think that's something that a a newer a newer game master can pick up and do, or is this more of a system that you might need to need a little bit of under your belt to uh, you really know make it sing? 
that's a good question. And oh, I'm, I'm going to point out Bear Droid and Ulysses are both reminding me of omens in chat, which are basically get out of jail free cards that players get a ton of. But to, if if you're looking at how many they get as a party, they get a ton of them every day. So there's there's that too. Um, but yeah, I think. Maybe a few years ago, I would say, oh, yeah, random tables, that's iffy. But here's the thing. I think with type of people that are coming in now, the average DM is someone who's keen to do storytelling, keen to create things on the fly, to be creative, to, to use their imagination, yada, 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 right? This is, we're in the critical role universe at this point. Mm-hmm. I think my guess would be that those people will really enjoy the lack of like word restraints and and uh, instead just getting inspiration to run with. Uh, yeah, no box text. <laughs> so you yeah, ran I, yeah. you ran you actually wrote the the adventure that you ran though, right? Yeah, the one that I did, the one that I ran for the crew was was one that I put together. Yeah. Well, that's to me that's a that's a really solid way of learning a uh, learning a, oh, yeah. the engine or the mechanics of a game is uh, you have to lay out the story and then you've got to start building out. Well, if I put this here, what does that really mean in regards to scale, difficulty? How much time are they going to have to spend on this in order to make it to make it uh, to uh, to complete? You know mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Did you do you feel like that was the case with this one, or was oh it yeah, pretty easy? It's it's really fascinating, actually. I think that Morkborg is still. It's fascinating to see a system in its infancy, because like if I were to tell you, like ask you, if you're reading along in a paragraph of an adventure in Five E, and you come across a creature whose name is emboldened, we mm-hmm. all know what that means, right? It means mm-hmm. this is a creature that has a stat block. You can go hunt down that stat block, right? Um. There's all these little things that the system communicates in very particular ways and established systems communicate those very clearly. And there is a, a glossary or a key or something that you're like, I understand what I, I maybe don't understand at the beginning, but I can learn this lingo and understand the can't. You can learn, you can learn the can't uh, to know what's going on. Mark work. There are things in even just the core rule book that are communicated differently in different sections of the book. And then when you get outside into third-party content, this first wave of third-party content that we're seeing, there's iterations again as people are trying to find the best ways of communicating. How do you say that you need to make a presence test? What's the string of words that you put together to say that that communicates it effectively to the DM, to whoever's reading it, um, on the page. There's like four different ways of saying that at this point across everything. And you kind of have mm-hmm. to pick it through. How does a, how does a monster work? Think about it, right? How does a villain work in D and D? If I say, what does your boss have that, that other creatures don't have? We're going to say things like legendary actions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe lower level monsters have a reaction instead. You know, maybe they have a multi-attack even lower, right? Like there's these these tiers and we can kind of communicate that like these are how you build increasingly large or more difficult creatures. And this and and thus we can know kind of what does a what is more what would Mordenkainen's stat block look like as compared to a archmage as compared to a mage as compared to an uh you know uh, an acolyte 
we can imagine that progression. In Morkborg, there's not that. In Morkborg, if I say a lich is this, but a lich boss could be completely different in how they present that, right? Mm-hmm. That's what's really interesting. A different book is also different. Exactly. That's what's fascinating, and I really dig it. So, um, and the fact that it's such a rules light system means that when we want complexity, we don't have a lot of guidance for how that complexity should work, right? So, when we want a boss that can do something more than swing an axe, we have a few examples, but we don't have a rule set, and we don't have a lot of examples. So, a lot of it is going to be me looking at not just monster stat blocks, but classes, magic items, and just my imagination in general and saying, mm-hmm. how can I be- make this interesting? That's It's just great. It's fascinating to see a system that hasn't figured out truly how it presents itself fully yet. Or maybe it has, and that's what they've settled on. Yeah, that is, that I mean, is a mixed bag. I mean, fair enough. It's more pork, right? Um, yeah, I mean, because it's... It's very much like an old school renaissance. It's, you know, it's your game. You, we, we say it's, here's the lich. What does that, what does a lich mean to you right now? Because, I mean, yeah. that is kind of a D&D 5E is, is trying to be, and I think has succeeded in a lot of ways as being able to be potentially all things to all people with tweaking. Mm-hmm. but you have that standardized language. So yeah, when, when you say lich, you, y'all meet a lich in this dungeon and a couple levels later you meet another lich. Well, you know what that means. The The players already understand what powers they're up against, what abilities they're going to be up against. Mm-hmm. And it, that makes it very, you know, video gamey in that respect with Morkborg it's almost more natural. Yeah, there's a lich over here, and whatever that individual did to become a lich made that lich like that. Mm-hmm. This lich over here maybe did something completely different, yep. and they've got completely different oh, yeah. power, powers and abilities, so now what are you going to do? They're still liches, but now what are you going to do? And I, I kind of, I really like that idea because it keeps the players on their toes. You could fight a lich at low level mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. in that instance, or, you know, but then another lich could come along and just, you know, mop the floor with you. What's well, thematically div- driven design though. Yeah. Right? It's a, there's a theme to it as opposed to, I'm not worried about like a copy paste element to it. There's a narrative that's, that is, that kind of revolves around this thing that they're going to end up having to encounter, be challenged by or whatever. It doesn't have to always be, you know, knock down drag out, but Theme-driven design is, I think, is, is the thing that people are starting to, to lean towards more and more. And by doing theme-driven design, you can go. There's a huge spectrum mm-hmm. of like tons and tons of compl- uh, complexity, like you've got with 4E or even in Pathfinder, some of like very, very specific, lots of little bullet point uh, actions, abilities, and things like that, that they can do. Or it's kind of like an open-ended. This is the kind of thing that they can do, and then you can make things up on the fly uh, as you run games, which makes things a lot easier to run honestly, mm-hmm. and, and really, really interesting and fun. And it just, it kind of like, it doubles down on the, the improvisation mm-hmm. aspect yes. of the entire game. It's like, just come up with it either off the cuff or before the game, you know, just jot down a couple of ideas or thoughts on you know, how the creature behaves and what kind of 
you know, bad stuff happens to the the players. And what I've noticed whenever I've read through some of the Morkborg stuff is it's like it's there's some non-specific mechanical things yep. that happen to people. Oh, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. like right. It's not like you lose one hit point or you are there is a condition that you you take. Nope, you vomit all over the place, black blood, and you're super sick, and you're like this. There's nothing. There's not like one particular condition like in for, like in D and D where you are uh, un, like not let's see uh, grappled poisoned. poisoned yeah. thank you P- grappled poisoned unconscious exhausted whatever right like, things like that it's very like it's interpretable and yeah. you the dm can run it however they want to in order yeah. to make it interesting to them yeah which is kind of goes back to the os i mean this is an osr game so mm-hmm. a lot of these things are standard across a lot of those systems but mm-hmm. uh Here's, uh, I'll kind of do my last thing here. I think that Mork, I, we've, I don't know that we've talked about this on the podcast, but I'll, I'll say it here now. We have talked about OSR needing an approachable system. Mm. That is not, let me, let me say this, uh, let me say it this way. Labeling yourself as OSR is a turnoff for a large chunk of the folks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm not necessarily turned off by that, but but it it, it, it it communicates something, right? And I think that what it communicates is uh, to to the layman, I'll, I'll speak for myself here uh, uh, from a couple of years ago, it communicates to me that there is this community that remembers something from before and is recapturing that. Mm-hmm. That's that's what OSR signals to me, right? Well, if I don't remember what's before, am I missing something? Am I always going to miss something? Is this not for me, right? Those are questions that I, I certainly had. Like, uh, you know, if this is heavy nostalgia, if this is you made this because you, you don't like 5E or you don't like 4E or you don't like 3E, then maybe that's not something that I need to mess with, right? Because I don't right. with those. And and so I, we've talked about there needs to be an approachable one that that could be OSR, but doesn't have that branding on it. And I think Morkborg is that. I think that's our answer because it is an OSR, but it, you have to dig for that, right? They don't put that on the cover. You have to flip around and to find it. Um, I think that's really, I think that's really interesting. But is it truly approachable? Like, because like for you said, not for everyone, not for everyone, absolutely yeah, cause, not. Because no. when you picked, when, when you you even said when you picked up that book, you were like, "What the hell is this?" But you know what? The first book, now I had some PDFs, but the first physical book that I owned that was OSR was a Morkboard. I didn't, you know. So there's this, there is this idea, right? It's cool. I picked it up. I bought it. It's talked about. Getting oh, yeah. it into people's hands onto their shelves is the first step, right? Mm-hmm. True. So, but you're absolutely right. It's approachable's not always the best word, but I think we're getting there, right? Maybe it's the first step, and there's a couple more to go, but we're getting there. Fair enough. Our, Fair enough. Uh, shall we move on to the expanse? Sure. Let's let's yes. uh, let's hit the open space lanes. So, tell us about your expectations and and how they were met or not. Well, t- um, really quick, if we can. Yeah. I don't know that we did it with Morkborg. We may have to do it retroactively. But one of the things I think that we may need to do for everybody that's listening at home is an explanation of 
what the what the expanse is a little bit and, oh, and yeah. a little bit maybe just like the high level you're using 60 sided dice or you're using 20 sided dice or something like oh that yeah i to, plan to on to that because that's a big off. part of it that is a big part of it for the expanse for me yeah. um for those that don't know the expanse uh was actually it actually began as a potential uh mmo computer game mm-hmm. that was then uh turned into a i believe an eight book novel series and finally ended up as a tabletop RPG. And I think they had planned on doing the tabletop RPG either before or after the MMO. And Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a TV show. So uh, the Expanse is uh, not too far future, I don't think. I'm not sure what actual year it is. Mm -hmm. But uh, you have um, the Earth colonies. Earth has kind of went along how what we're doing kind of you know ripping it apart and and making it almost unlivable so they've colonized mars they've colonized uh asteroids uh moons Their moon yeah all of that yeah the moon all that kind of stuff and they've kind of formed their own political groupings so you've got the earthers you've got uh the the mc the, the mars colony and then you've got uh, the belters and they're the ones that do all the mining of the asteroids for minerals and water and all of that to send back into what they call the inners, which is the, the moons and the planets that have been colonized And all three factions basically hate each other. Um, Mars is very militaristic. Um, Earth feels like they are above everybody else and the belters are, the dregs of society pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, and it's like a, a lawless old West kind of, kind of vibe. And in comes this, uh, what they call, uh, well, I'm not even gonna tell you about that because if you want to read the books or watch the TV show, I mean, it gets spoiled pretty quick, but something ignites a spark that changes everything. As far as the uh, the three factions are concerned, um, so what I was looking for was like a little bit of maybe political intrigue, you know, back and forth kind of stuff like that. Uh, something about the show, and I'm assuming the novel series is bad crap always happens, hmm. and they they have to deal with it and. They might not get the result they wanted, but they they get a result, you know, kind of a thing. And so I was kind of wondering how that was going to play as far as the game was concerned. Um, The game uses the uh, AGE system, and Mm -hmm. uh, you use three D6. Uh, Two of the D6 are the same, and the other D6 is different in some way to you, bigger, different color whatever it might be. And that is what, what is called your drama die. So you're always rolling three D six. You're adding the relevant stat bonus. And if you happen to have a focus or a talent or something, you add that as well, if it applies and you're, you're meeting target numbers, TNs. And it, so that's basically how, you know, how it works. And it, so it's, it's very D and D esque in that respect. Mm-hmm. You sort of, uh, instead of DRs or whatever, you got mm-hmm. TNs. So it's like 
all these letters floating around. Um, what surprised me was how much it felt like the show. Hmm. Because using those, um, those the, the three die um, was really kind of cool because when you make, when you make a roll, that drama die has a, a, a reason for it. If you succeed, but you roll low on the drama die, maybe you just barely succeeded and something bad happens. Or if you, you know, failed on your roll, but your drama die was really high, the the game master could even say, "Well, yeah, you didn't make that make it, but this happened, so you didn't flub completely, or you got a little bit of the information that you needed." Things like that. Uh, the the more advanced checks. I felt really captured a lot of stuff. You, uh, it's almost like in D and D, you've got skill challenges, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you, but for but for the expanse, the AGE system is like okay, yeah, you've got five minutes each round. E- each roll is a minute long to use one of the situations that was in the adventure, and so you'd roll to see if you succeeded for that minute if you did you took the number on their on your drama die and you started a count so once in the the next minute you roll again other people can help and do other things and as you roll and your minutes tick by how high that drama die count gets tells you when you succeed or if you succeed so you can you can roll successes all day long but if you're like rolling a one on that drama die, it's going to take you forever to fix yeah. or get out of that situation. And I think that really added a cool element. And it says in the rules how you can use that as a chase, which I think D&D needs some serious help with as far as yeah. chases go. It's, it's latest implementations of using chases has been horrible, painful, horrible. to say the least. Yeah. But uh, I, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the feel of it. Yeah, uh, learning it that week and then running it that Sunday, I, I, I flubbed up a few things, but it it didn't feel like it went too mm-hmm. horribly on my end. I I had fun. Uh, I had fun with the whole thing. It was great, yeah. you know, and I got to finally uh, run a game for Zach. I think that was the first time. Second time, but yeah, second time. That's right. Uh, second time. Ravenloft or something together. I think. That's right. Um, so the, that was fun. Um, <laughs> I tried to take him out, guys. I really did. Uh, I tried to play by his rules of the one shot, leave nobody yeah. behind for That's the second right. episode. Uh, came close, but really, I did a I did a better job taking out uh, Andrew. Um, <laughs> almost almost wiped him out. But the cool thing about that is, you know, you, you have fortune points, mm-hmm. and they're they're very much like hit points in a way. But instead, it's, okay, I shoot you or I punch you, I roll the damage, I can tick off fortune points to eliminate damage. I'm not taking the damage, I'm eliminating the damage with my fortune points. When you run out of fortune points, you then have to take a condition, an injury condition, and then you get to roll a d6, and that's how many more damage points you can eliminate but you're injured and that gives you certain disabilities 
if you have to do more, you take another injury, and now you're wounded, wounded. Yeah. which is worse. And then if you have to do it again, you're now dying. Yeah. Or at some point, you can choose to just give a condition to the character like prone or blinded or deafened or something like that. And it has its own. It's really good. It's that, that... really cool. <clears throat> that was because, I mean, it, it goes it, just like watching and not just the expanse, but other shows too. You know, you're shooting at somebody. If I hit you, I'm going to do a lot of damage, but with those fortune points, you're, you've ducked behind the, the, the crate or you just narrowly missed or ricocheted off your armor, but you're, yeah. it's tiring you out. It's, it's, it's what hit points in D and D are trying to be, but nobody. The language is slightly way. off to where, you know, hit points feels like you're getting mm-hmm. hit, right? Fortune yep. does something else. Um, Call of Cthulhu has luck, right? Same yeah, yeah. basic presentation, but the way the words that we use communicate a, a, a certain reality to to our to those that play, right? Um, I I, I want to just reiterate, emphasize what you just said about the drama die is super smart. Um, I think that there's some intricacy there that. I would like to explore even further because there's an idea of like, if I roll a 15 between my three dice, but I only roll a one or two or three on my drama dice, that communicates something, right? Mm -hmm. Communicates that I succeeded, but the drama dice tells me that I didn't succeed crazy well, right? Right. Even if the difficulty was 10, right? I got a 15, but the drama dice tells me, eh. But the next time... Still difficulty of 10. I rolled a 10, but six of those 10 points were on the drama dice. That's communicating that even though I scraped by in points, I did it with style, right? Yeah, it, that's really interesting. To it. yeah, it's really interesting to it. how much detail they got out of just the, the way that those two yes. dice interplay. And, and um, how much that can influence your storytelling. It's very yep, much yep. like very much like the uh, the fantasy flight Star Wars, or in that like, way, but uh, yeah. a way easier system to to just look at. And that's know. what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was like the Warhammer fantasy game uh, of a couple editions ago is also that way, where you roll a you you, you roll a chunk of dice, right? Yeah, yeah. But but which is cool, and they've got all these symbols and their colors and all. But then you have to interpret. This was like so easy. Uh, it, it was, that was it great. Was, it was really good. Now, I will say this for those of you that are listening right now. I don't know if it's still going on. I didn't check before we jumped on. But uh, humble, bum, hun, uh, humble Bundle, that's the yes. word, uh, right now has resurrected. I think it's still going on. Their modern AGE, which oh. is what the Expanse is based on, mm-hmm. plus like four or five Expanse books. Nice. And they got and I and I so I got them all. So who knows? There might be a little bit more expanse out there in the future. Yeah. In the future. So I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. And you know, I've been a diehard D and D nut for mm-hmm. a long time. But I you know, John would his eye would twitch when people would come to him with other systems. <laughs> Growing up, I didn't have anybody to play D and D with, so I collected other systems mm-hmm. and devoured them, but never had a chance to play any of them. Mm-hmm. And now I have, I have 
masses of individuals that uh, enjoy checking out other systems and things like that. So it's so great. Yeah. So now that's why I'm, I finally branched out and have gotten, you know, free league stuff and I've got mothership and there's so many others that I'm eyeing and looking at to, uh, to snag onto. And yeah, yeah. A, AG, the AGE system, it also has a fantasy AGE. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious about that too. Cause I would like to incorporate, I would like to Let's, see how it carries fantasy. I'll, 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 I'll touch on that for a moment. Let's point something out here about the two systems that we've just talked about. Then we can move on and talk talk John because I think he's got an interesting system in his belt too. Oh yeah. Uh, but eight, so so these two systems that we chatted about, I don't think that the expanse, the AGE system, was difficult at all from a player side of things to pick up. I don't think that I think the same is true with Morkboard, but here's what I think is interesting. I don't think that there's much on the Morkborg side of things from a mechanical aspect. Not from themes. We've talked about themes a lot, but from a mechanical aspect for players to gnaw on from their side of the table. It's a very simple system, right? Roll a D20, you're adding small modifiers, you move along, maybe you roll on a table, right? Mm-hmm. Um on the flip side of that, our conversation about the expanse is about how much the system is fascinating. And you said how much it emulates the expanse show and feel, right? So yes. there's there's thematic stuff going on. There's also this side of like the mechanics got something there. Like there's something there. And there's and something there. You finished your game the next day. I, you know, you and I were talking on the phone and I was like, still thinking about how interesting that system is and what it's doing that's cool. What a fascinating thing, right? Like, oh man, it's just, that's why if, uh, if, if, if I'm going to, we were talking about what Troy, you and I discussed this a month ago. What's the best system to introduce someone to TTRPGs? This is the, this comes back to that, right? Where there's something, there's some juice in having a system that does something interesting with dice. Yeah. Um, it's just fascinating. So. Yeah. All right, John, uh, let's have a yeah, chat. I'm ready. I want to, I want to hear about Tales from the Loop because this system in this setting really, uh, has me jazzed. Uh, I, I think, um, oh man, it's a combination of a lot of things. So for those that are out there that have not heard of Tales from the Loop before, uh, it is a an RPG that is based on Simon Stallenhog's artwork. He's a, a Swedish artist and um, a musician, and his big claim to fame is retro, like a re- retro technological alternate Earth artwork. He's done a couple of different, like the Electric State, the Tales from the Loop things from the flood uh tales from the loops the the it is very nostalgic feeling but there's some it's but it's askew right Mm -hmm. it is it's the 80s and the way that i ran it was like it's 1980 something kind of like the goldbergs right the the beginning of every goldberg starts with it's 1980 something let's not worry about when exactly in the 80s this is so we don't argue about like when you know just what i needed came out by the cars or when you know the Iran Contra affair started or something like that. Whenever the Berlin wall fell, it's not worrying about any of that. It's like what it does is it allows you to play in, in the eighties that feels very, very familiar, very familiar, but it's just off and yeah. it's in a haunting way. I think it's the best way that I can ex- uh, ex- 
explain it. The the artwork to me is haunting. It looks so familiar, but it's so different. Uh, big robots that look and feel like they probably would have been manufactured in the eighties uh, had we had that technology. And so a lot of the technology is driven by this thing called the magnetrine effect, which is a geomagnetic force that the Soviets find out about. There are two different uh, particle accelerators that are created one in Switzerland, one in Nevada. Uh, they're the sister loops is what they call them. So the loop and uh, there is a government agency slash it's like this weird in bed with one another relationship between a corporation and the government that you just, that it just chews on the eighties Reaganomics kind of like the, uh, the uh, skepticism and cynicism that, that was bred from a lot of, the, a lot of that during the eighties of like government in with, in bed with, uh, with big business. Right. And so they own and operate the loop and there are all this weird things that happen. So vibe wise, I just, I'll break it down. Too long. Didn't read is it's a combination of stranger things and the, a little bit of the Goonies, but not as goofy as the Goonies. It's kind of yeah. like that same kid venture kids on bikes feel. <clears throat> um, but it's got a lot of like X files and fringe vibe to it. Or like, uh, if you want to stay in the eighties though, uh, let's say it's like, um, unsolved mysteries, hmm. right? Okay. Where it's like this. And the whole premise is about you are 10 to 15 year old kids and you, um, you go out on and you solve mysteries. And that is what every adventure is called is a mystery. So it's not an adventure. Um, some of the principles of the loop are, I think are are fascinating just outside of just the, the, they're not mechanical, but they are principles about the game, not necessarily about the, the, the world that you live in only, but about the game itself. Like um, the kids don't die mm -hmm. ever. The worst thing that happens to a kid is they are broken. And when they're broken, they recede from the story somehow. So you all kind of stop things and you say, okay, so the kid is broken. First of all, how did they become broken? What does broken really mean? How do they get out of it? Right. Does Sheriff Brackett show up at the last second and, you know, scare off the, the monster that was, was, uh, that was under their bed all along. Uh, do they, does, um, the, uh, the librarian drive up in her car and say, Hey, Johnny, What's, what's wrong? What's, is this guy bothering you kind of thing, right? So something happens to intervene to keep the kid from getting into like, like mortal danger and peril, right? Um, and then they, that's their, they, find, they decide on an anchor, a person that's really important to them. It can be like a dog. It could even be like a, a robot, right? Think 80s again, right? Yeah. Um, and so they spend time with that anchor, and that's how they quote-unquote heal. They heal from their conditions. Uh, mechanically it uses only six sided dice. Uh, you create a pool of dice based on your attributes, which are, let me think of this through really quick. Uh, it is move. Uh, or let me think, of, let me think about this for a second. It's, uh, crap. I just played this game. <laughs> uh, heart, <laughs> mind, <laughs> heart, mind. Uh, it's only, it's four heart, mind, charm. No. Heart, mind. Anyway, but you take the you take the attributes, right? Think like D and D attributes, and you you uh, whittle those down to four, and then uh, you take each one of those. You can have between one and five points in each one of those, right? And those each point represents a die that you can add to your die pool, and then uh, you have skills that are associated to those attributes, and um, you combine those two point values to create your pool. 
your base pool. And then if there's like a situational bonus that you get, or uh, if you have a, an item, like if you're going to use like a move and force, like a force is a skill uh, or body. That's what it is. Body, body force. Body is one of the, is one of the attributes. Body, uh, tech, heart, and mind. There body, you go. Tech, heart, tech, heart, mind. Yeah. Tech. Uh, so body is like, if you want to hit somebody, you're going to use the force skill and the parent attribute is, uh, body. So you'll add your body t- dice pool, your force die pool, and if you're using a bat to hit something, you may get a plus one, right? So you add one additional bonus to it. Or if you've got like an iconic item like um, Steve from Stranger Things where he had the bat with the spikes hang- sticking out of it, maybe it's a plus mm-hmm. two, right? So you add that to your pool, roll all the dice, and you cross your fingers, and you pray for a six. Because that's all it really takes. To succeed at anything is a six. None of the other dice matter. No ones, twos, whatever. Um, multiple successes are great because what ends up happening is you succeed on the first success. But if you, let's say you have two sixes, then that, that extra success gives you some kind of a bonus. It could be if you're doing something te- like it, sometimes it's as simple as you do it with like a flourish or really to impress something that's really impressive. So you, instead of just climbing over the fence, you vault over the fence or you get up to the top and you flip over it or something like that. Right. So, but some things are more, um, more specific like that. And every single one of those, uh, those skills has a set of bonuses. Uh, like, uh, let's see what's one lead. If you use lead, which is a charm based skill, um, then, um, then you can get, you will create an additional pool of dice from your leadership. So you are Mikey from the Goonies. You give this impassioned speech about it's our time up down here. It's their time up there. Roll your dice. You get three successes. Those three successes give you a pool of four dice that are kind of like bardic inspiration that sit out off to the side and people can snag from it as they're rolling stuff out. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, the, the age of the kids is important. The The age of the kid is how, I mean, how many points you get to at, put in attributes at the very beginning of your character creation. Uh, let's say you're a 12 year old though, you get 12 points and then you got three remaining. Those remaining three points of the 15 maximum years that you could be in the game is how many luck points you get. So if you're a 10 year old, you get five, If you're 15, you get none. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah I like okay. that. I dig yeah, that. The luck points um, are for rerolls, yeah. not just one yeah, die roll, great. but the, the full, the full thing. Okay. Uh, you can roll reroll without a push. And that is, um, that are uh, the reroll without uh, with the uh, without using luck, and it's a push, and so it's like you're f- pushing yourself beyond your childlike limits, and if you fail, you get a condition, or you get like possibly two different bad conditions. But if you succeed, you may get one, but you succeed on the roll, right? So you may be, and the conditions are like upset, scared, or upset, frightened, exhausted, and uh, injured, and then broken is the mm-hmm. last one. So, um. Long story short, on mechanics at least, um, really, really simple. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. five, ten minutes to kind of go over. Well, probably like ten, ten minutes to go over the basics with the players. And I don't, I don't think anybody had uh, had played at all before or seen any of the the uh, Year Zero engine mm-hmm. uh, mechanics before. Um, and it worked really, really well, really well. Um, I was shocked. I ran a game on Tuesday for the community. And then I uh, ran a game for my home game, the fall, the preceding uh, Saturday. And uh, I didn't roll a single die the entire time. 
Mm-hmm. Not one mm-hmm. because the, it, it all is on the, the past, so the success or failure of the, the kids being able to do things, find things, discover things, uncover clues and things mm-hmm. like that. So, um, man, yeah, I loved the, it. The year zero engine is what, <clears throat> excuse me, is what alien is based around too. Mm-hmm. And they really, I, they, they take the system for each, for each one of their settings and mm-hmm. really kind of, bends it to fit what they need, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's very interesting to hear you talk about Tales from the Loop and to compare that with my knowledge of Alien and be like, oh, that's similar, that's identical, that's completely different, right? Like, those are cool, really cool aspects. I love the idea of age directing your luck allotment. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's awesome. Um, I also, Troy, want to point out that the conditions do exactly what we had talked about being, we had kind of talked about as a larger set of conditions that really scale, right? Mm-hmm. So it is, it, you don't, you don't pick your conditions, right, John? It, you start mm-hmm. by ticking off upset and then you tick off scared and then you tick off well, exhausted. Actually, no. Oh, you can bounce around? You, yeah, it's like they're, they all do the same thing. Right? Like the four conditions before broken, they all just, they're a minus one. So they reduce your die pool by one for one, okay. anything that you do down to the uh, point where you just can't do anything more. But so like something bad happens. What's the most appropriate thing that the kid is feeling right now? Is he upset or is she uh, frightened? Is she, was she injured? Was he mm-hmm. uh, or whatever, right? So you pick whichever condition you want to, and it's all, it's malleable and it, mm-hmm. and then, but they're, they're cumulative though. So if you're, if you're yeah. injured and upset, then it's a minus two, et cetera, until you're mm. broken and you're, you're kind of pulled out. That's interesting. Okay. Well, uh, that's, that's still fascinating to me. I love the idea of ticking conditions instead of taking hit points. That's mm-hmm. cool. That's yeah. fascinating. Now, and something to consider, there are a couple of different things to consider on top of that too. Thing, Tales from the Loop is just the, the opening salvo into the mythology of this mm-hmm. alternate 80s timeline. There's also things from the flood, which is when it is late teens, between 15 and 19 years old, and the, the stakes are higher, and there's there's a possibility of death at that hmm. point until and things from the flood. Yeah, Bear Droids uh, bringing that exact thing up in chat. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. I could really see what an appealing concept to move from Tales from the Loop to Things from the Flood with the same group of people, mm-hmm. maybe that the same would characters cool. would be great, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. I would love that. That would be really cool. Well, I mean, then look, so aside, the mechanics were relatively simple, actually really simple. And I, we, I used the basic rules, or excuse me, the, the box set, like the starter mm-hmm. set that came with it. I used mm-hmm. the starter set adventure, and I, I read those rules. I'd already read the core rule book through the real core rule book, but it's until you really play it, none of it really sticks for me. So the mm-hmm. practical application of it really made a lot of a lot of sense. The box is really really good. I mean, they did a they did a fantastic job. It's a really simple adventure. Do they um, have a Do they have a box set for things from the flood? They don't. They, they don't. don't. Not that I'm aware of. I've, I looked and I didn't see it. One. If there is one that I'd be it'd be news to me. I thought they had one. I thought we saw one there at Origins. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I don't think so. I didn't see one. I, I did not see up, one for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because I didn't. I, I had at that point one of the reasons why I didn't. I only grabbed dice while I was at the free league booth for for Tales from the Loop because I had everything else. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So aside from the mechanics, which were were elegantly simple, 
uh, but effective. Just man, the the players just they ate up the the nostalgia aspect of it, or yeah. just if nothing else, just being a kid. So the players stuck to movie tropes. A lot of them were characters from from films that they that they loved, and a lot of the images of their their characters and the tokens and stuff like that were like Christian Slater, Corey Haim, uh, stuff like that. Like my 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 weekly my Friday group, which we played on Saturday. Um, they this is the, the part of the most interesting part of this whole thing to me is that they are a we play D and D only group. They, it's not that they're like aggressive about it, but I'm like, hey, well, you know, I got this other game over here. You guys want to play whatever? Ah, let's play D&D instead. It's every single time. And so I kind of pushed Tales from the Loop on them and really I kind of hyped it up a bit. And I was expecting them. I didn't expect them to poo-poo it, but I thought, well, they'll run through it and they'll be like, well, we did that. Now let's play some D&D. They uh, just character introductions took about an hour and a half. Hmm. As they were sitting there going, oh, and wait, what if like, you know, we or like our hideout is in the back of the arcade and the guy's name is Hank and it's Hank's hideout and that's our hideout. And then like, you're this guy. And like, they spent almost two hours going over character development. It was like, it was I'm like, we're just going to play a one shot guys. And they were totally session zeroing this thing. And by the end of it, by the end of it, they're like, when are we going to play again? Can we play next week? Like, well, we're not done yet. So when, yeah, if you guys want to yeah. want to keep playing, of course. Like, well, uh-huh. is it two sessions or is it three? Can you can you make it three? I'm like, oh my god, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like that was a that was a That's shocker. Great. That's and it was, great. And it says something about both the they were able to latch onto something that was familiar with it, though. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. being a kid in the eighties, they knew what that felt like, and it was cool to kind of like role play that feel that vibe again, even though it was weird, a little bit different based on the setting and everything like that, but. That's, yeah. I think that's really why I'm so intrigued with it because, mm-hmm. you know, I was in high school in the 80s, mm-hmm. late 80s. And so for me, it's like, you know, play, playing through that and, and, and all that. And then it would be me graduating into mm-hmm. things from the flood because mm-hmm. I, I graduated in 1990. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think that's like, oh man, just to, to pull all of that, you know, that's all the funny. stuff I, I wanted to do as a kid, I could be, I could be doing in this game. Well, that's thing. the great thing too, right? I think that that is what really makes it a standout is that you have, it's, it's the Harry Potter syndrome, right? What, what, what was it that made Harry Potter so great? Probably not just the fa- the books or the story or the characters even, but this like, fantastical version of our world that we were introduced, like the world mm-hmm. underneath uh, like this, this magical world beneath our world or kind of hidden from our world, which you've seen that happen a lot in like young adult books and things like that too. But I think that's what makes it easier to transition into mm-hmm. the, that and kind of get into the characters is because there's so much that's already familiar to you. The, the dice and the roles and the mechanics and the rules and stuff like that are kind of like inconsequential will depend on the GM to tell us what we needed to roll the rest of it is just kind of reliving a lot of this. So I'm what I'm curious to see is anyone under the age of 30 play this game and that is not I, that is not really into the 80s and see how much mm. they like it. I'm, mm. I'm not sure that there's a market for it, honestly. I don't know that there is. Not to say that there isn't, but I think there is, but only because so much of our cinema is still mm. gravitating towards the 80s. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
that would be my only thought, right? Like maybe. Well, I, I think, think yeah, yeah. If you've got younger, like Stranger Things, yeah, my I daughter she is a Stranger Things fan. I think if 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 you're a hardcore Stranger Things fan, I think you can use that to to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like some of the oh, man, just the. Uh, not to keep like beating a dead horse here, but one another really interesting thing about the story about the book and the, or the, the game is they intentionally drive a narrative that is cinematic and not just cinematic and like scene or not like, like um, camera angles and pan in shots and stuff like that. But man, does it, it, does it lean itself towards it? But what it does is like, everything is a scene. Don't worry about the stuff that's in between. Like how did how did Johnny or Susie get from school to home? Don't worry about all that stuff. It's they're at school. That's where one of the scenes is. Cut to, boom. We get back into the role play action or into the actual action action of the story, and not worry about like the the footsteps that we have to take in order to get between the two the two things. Mm-hmm. Um, character creation was so fun for myself, and then uh, the but that was another thing too. It's like that my Friday group, man, they loved doing the character creation beforehand. I, I, I think the, the uh, community did as well. They really, they mm-hmm. really dug like fleshing out a character and man, a lot of the, like the character generation questions that they ask, like forget that just the mechanical aspect of it. Things like they're asking you, but like, do your mom and dad have any problems at home? Um, like there are, there are individual questions, questions that you ask that help like, for seeds of like who your character really is for you to really get into the character and immerse yourself in them. And then there are group questions. Do I do any of you hate one another or do you pick on one another? Right. Who's, who's the mouth and who's the chunk, right? Uh, Do any of you have a crush on one another for like couples playing games together or something like that? Right. We've talked before about romance and games, but that's one of the questions they ask. That's a very monster of the week feel too like mm-hmm. and, and and vampire has some of that as well these these relationship uh think uh vampire calls it like the re- relationship web mm-hmm. um uh but yeah that that's very it's a really good way of you know again D doesn't have as part of its core presentation this idea of party cohesion mm-hmm. and how right. did you know you right that's why we start in a tavern um, is because we need a reason why you're all in the same spot. Right. Um, yeah. At least, at bare minimum, we need to figure out how we all get you into the same room, <laughs> even if you don't know each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and a lot of these games take it a step further and say, yeah, not only are you in the same room when we start, but you, you have a history. And that mm-hmm. history is going to be what gets you through some of this. Stuff. Oh, man. It's intentional. Yeah. It's You don't get away with having a bond with just one person. You all know one another in this game. Yeah. If there are five of you playing, then there are 25 different connections that are involved. That's, and that's, that's fantastic. And that's, mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if, if sixth edition will pick up on that concept Maybe. because, you know, it's, it, it's easy been to a, implement, but it's, yeah, it's good. been a, th- well, it's been a thing for a while. It's been tacked on. Well, you have to have a session zero. You have to have a mm-hmm. session zero to do all this stuff. And yeah, session zeros are great, but this game right here, the session zero is a huge part mm-hmm. of the game. Yeah. And it should be, it, it, it's, yeah. it's baked in, and it, but it's a tack on for D and D. This is baked in. I, yeah, I, and I really one like of the that. things that D that fifth edition tried to do with, you know, like goals and motives and 
know, personality traits and things like that. They tried to do that. This game really does a great job of making you think. Yeah. Like, what is your drive? What is the thing that makes you yeah. risk as a kid going out on your bike and getting into trouble that could kill you? Mm-hmm. What is that thing? Right? It's not what the and what that does is it creates characters that are not just going to sit still and be really boring at the table and be wallflowers or pointer poindexters that are sitting on the corner. It also you've got what's your problem? What is it at home that you're dealing with? My mom is sick and she's well, t- having chemo treatments, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And that's that's this is a whole other topic. But the reason I think that part of the reason that personality traits or whatever in D and D fell so feel so flat is because they're tied to your background, and not your player class. Mm-hmm. Because in D and D, you are playing a heroic character. Yeah. Right. That is the whole point of D and D. All the classes communicate: you are a hero. Yeah. And then how? Let's talk about how you are a hero. Let's talk about your personality, your traits, your flaws, your your ties, your bonds, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, all of that is tied to the life you had before you were a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a, it was an attempt, and it fell short. Yeah, for, yeah. For, for well, it, it felt like a tack on those those four, like you know, flaw, flaw, ideal, bond. Those things they all felt like they were just tacked on to. Yeah. Like we have some blank area on the character sheet. We need to make sure we fill that with something. Why don't we put these four things in? They're there? great ideas, right? Yeah. And they, they, I in think theory. in later books they start to. I think Xanathar's kind of plays on the idea of like, why are you a druid? Mm-hmm. That sort of answers, which are good, but way better questions. But in the player's handbook, it's like, okay, yeah, let's spend a lot of time thinking about backgrounds and and you know, talk. Tell us about you know what about being a bread baker you carry with you right yeah yeah or at least maybe there should be i don't Some know of both or whatever tears right? yeah. tears of background or tears of personality traits yeah. where it's like here's the stuff that you formulated during your previous life before you were an adventurer yeah. mm-hmm. and then then you get into this stuff so that way you've got something to, to build because yeah it just seems in really a lot of times who plays to them very few folks because you put mm. them down on your sheet and then you forget about them. Yeah. 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 Well, and then the DM doesn't have access to any of them, even though the DM is supposed to use those for as drivers for inspiration. Yeah. 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 One of the, one of the hard things. Um, and I think we should probably look towards closing out, but one of the things that uh, I'm learning very quickly in the Dune game is just how important it is for the DM to have access to the player character sheets. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's so necessary in that game mm-hmm. um, that it kind of drives home that it should be necessary in so many others. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that you have to deal with, right? Especially if you're at the table, are you making a copy? Are you asking for it? Like and passing it back and forth. But 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 it it really does help to be able to pull up the character sheet and be like, all right, uh, as they're as this character is having a meaningful moment in this scene, I'm gonna grab their sheet and see if it plays to something on that sheet, so I can reward right. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Veradroid saying it should be like in the old days. Answer these questions to determine your class. <laughs> you know, it kind of. I think yeah. it, that's not a bad idea. I mean, or at least a much more in depth character generation process where it is 
you know, if you want to make a character by yourself, fine. Do that. Pick the background. Do your things, whatever. But have a full-blown guide or something to that session zero for D&D where you're all sitting around. And it's like you don't come to the table with a pre-existing character idea. We are going to develop it as we go. Mm-hmm. because that's one thing that I have seen time and time again. You've got somebody that's like, yeah, I, I got the newest book. I've, I'm this new race. I'm this new class. I've got these new feats. And you sit down and nothing fits. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. and and they just, nope, I'm, I'm this. I've already got my next three levels planned out, and that's what I'm going to do. And okay, but the cam- every the campaign is this way, man. It's it's going over here, and nope. I'm just I am. This is going to be fun. I've got my fun mapped out. Leave me alone. <laughs> right, I'm fun and mapped out. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, I I'm digging the idea of this tales from the loop. I think it would be yeah an absolute blast to play. Well, it looks like we're going to run it again, and I'm going to be I'll be running it for a while on the side for sure. It's going to be my new like. I'll be my go to for a little bit at least. Well, that was a great discussion. Uh, lots of lots of notes, I think, from from those systems. So uh, I think we're all on board to explore them further. Obviously, so Troy's already bought <laughs> bought in more. So <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so we'll 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 give reports as as more of that happens. Um, uh, so as we close out here, I want to re- do a quick couple of reminders. We did some of this at the beginning, but uh, I think that these that these next episodes, if you can, next Sunday, the 23rd, next Tuesday, the 25th, the Sunday after that, the 30th, and the 1st or whatever it is, that Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, come experience those live for a couple of reasons. Um, obviously, you'll have video. And we're going to be interviewing creators, and I think that'll be interesting, right? You kind of get to know them a little bit more. Secondly, um, I'd love for our community to come out in full force to support these creators. Yes. Um, um, and so part of that that I would really like to see is just as engaging as you typically are in chat, which is awesome. Let's ramp that up to another level for these folks and let them know that we're excited for their stuff. Um, some of these people are early creators still in the throes of like, is, is my stuff any good? That's going to be some folks. Some folks have done a dozen projects, but they all still would love it. And it would make their day to hang up from the call, hang up from this stream and be like, man, I just got, I got some momentum. Like yep. that was a, that, was, that felt good. Yeah. So ask your questions, leave your comments, you know, just, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, to facilitate this, to facilitate this, we talked about being a surprise, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revamp on some of that. This list may change a little bit, but I will post the list of the people that we're going to be interviewing. And that way you guys, if you want to, can do a little homework on some of them and, and get a sense for uh, who might be, uh, who what questions you might have, or if you have, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm thoughts um so i'll go ahead and get that um that'd be awesome uh in addition to that so that's the next few weeks uh i want to say what else has happened in the next few weeks um 
Uh, I've got my Morkboard Kickstarter, and I don't like talking a lot about my stuff or, or whatever. It just feels weird. I don't know. Uh, on, on the podcast, but can I, can I do something for you then? <laughs> sure. Let me do this. Sure. Hey, Zach's got a Kickstarter that's coming up pretty soon and it's awesome. I've read the adventure. I'm going to be helping out with it. Um, and it's Morkborg and it's really, really good. It's, it's a really cool idea. Uh, and it's not just like, it's not just an adventure, right? This is a modular adventure. That's got fantastic replayability. I'll be your hype, man. I'm excited yeah. about it. Like oh, legitimately. I, appreciate it. Uh, I mean, John, John helped him on it. I helped him on it. Yeah. Yep. It, it looks, it, okay. So I mean this in the most loving way possible as uh-oh, far as Morkborg and what, and what Zach has put together. It, it's some of the most horribly disgusting yes. and vile fun you'll be able to have. And well written too. And it's well it's well written. Even in draft it, form. Yes. <laughs> Even in draft form. Uh yeah. Um Arctic Black says that he heard that Zach has a Morkboard Kickstarter coming soon. <laughs> Zach, could you could you pontificate on that a little bit for us and, and uh and let us know what that's about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so let me let me do this. I'll give you the elevator pitch real quick here. Um, it's called Seven Aboard the Shackle. Um, imagine, if you will, Batman's Arkham Asylum uh, is on a prison ship uh, out in the middle, just kind of drifting upon an endless sea in a world that's pre- prepping for the end of the world. Um, it is... Randomly generated from <laughs> from uh, uh, top to bottom. It's got mm-hmm. crazy characters. It's got Batman's like rogues gallery feel of escaped prisoners that are taking control of the ship. Um, if you like, if that sounds cool to you, I don't know that I like. If that doesn't sound cool to you, it's not for you. If right. if, if I said some buzzwords there and you were like, oh, I like Batman, you had me at prison ship dungeon crawl, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tr- like that. Like whenever you, when I remember when when uh, when Zach first threw out, like, all right, here it is, in like in a one liner, prison ship dungeon crawl. I'm like, where do I sign? Shut up, take my money. I was so excited about it just from that. I was like, that is such a cool idea, and it's yeah. really really well put together. I mean that. Like, I think the thing that I really love the most about it is how how with the replayability. There are so many different parts in it to where you can run this as a as a GM. You run it a dozen times, be completely different every single time, and just not get tired of it. You run it for different tables. I don't, I don't see you playing it, you know, the same crew. I don't know. They might actually go back and want to see, like, the second time around, see what happens whenever things are set up differently and, and you got different bad guys you're facing off against. But, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to launch uh, in a week or two, uh, probably on the 25th next week, but we'll see. So in about a week. Um uh, and then I also just want to give a quick shout out to some of the other projects that we've got going on um, that we're helping with. Um, uh, part of what I get to do on a daily basis is create stuff that I like and that comes from my mind. But also a big part of it is I get to help others create cool stuff of their own. Um, and so we're doing cool things like a box set from Tim Casks called Curse of the Weaver Queen. That we're helping uh, him with. Um, we're doing a, a book with Shadow Zach, uh, kind of helping him get another book on the table called, uh, and Patrick uh, Reese, and this book is called Tome of Horror, which is a horror resource compendium 
for 5e and it is huge it's like 350 pages it's crazy like it's yeah yeah it's it's great it's the book that i don't have on my shelf that i want to have on my shelf right i i got to see the co- the picture of the cover today yeah it, you got to see the picture yeah, yeah. In, in our in our meeting you got to fix today. that yeah, yeah it was yeah. good yeah. Uh, so that's cool. We've got a book called Picks and Intrigue, which uh, is uh, by my partner uh, in crime, Jared, uh, who is uh, it's kind of like a Feywild inspired book. So really cool. there, little micro setting. Um, oh, my gosh. There's so, so many. Uh, Andrew Bashinsky that we uh, worked with uh, has worked with us on a couple of the like Captain Hartchild series, basically. Um, he's got another book that we're so, so close to announcing. Um, it's going to go live in March. Um, it's just so many cool things. Um, and you can connect with all of them um, by following by, uh, the Geeks Can't Facebook page um, or <laughs> popping into our um, Geeks Can't Discord. If you want to send us a private message on Facebook or wherever, um, we'll happily uh, get you a link there. There's a good active community on Discord every single day. People chatting about all sorts of stuff. We'd love for you to be a part of that. We rolled out Instagram and Twitter, um, so you can. Yes, we found our Twitter. We, we found our Twitter. Um, Unlocked. And then is that a He-Man villain? I have Twitter. Yeah, probably, yeah, probably so. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing that I'll point you towards is YouTube. Um, cause you're watching this on Twitch or you're listening to this on your favorite podcast player, but we are rolling out YouTube. You can find it by going to, uh, YouTube. Uh, I think it's YouTube slash, or, uh, you can just search for world of game design on YouTube and you find it. That's the easiest way to do it. Cause we're, we're rolling out live and that comes with some weird stuff, but, um, we're going to have how to play videos on there this week. We're going to have a, should you play video on there this week? Mm-hmm. Um, Next Sunday, we're going to start rolling all of this on live, and this will be where you can archive all of our stuff moving forward for the podcast. Um, Troy's got Uncle Troy's tips, tactics, and tricks, or something in in triple that T's. combination. Triple yeah. T's, yeah. Uh, Uncle Troy's triple T's. Um, uh, all sorts of things are going to be on that channel um, on YouTube. So I would point you in that direction. And to go along with uh, some of the things that Zach is is doing. Pretty soon you'll be able to subscribe to something and get yes. to see what some things that I've been up to. That's right. I, I'm fine with just saying that. Look, let's be clear. Troy is going to be writing a weekly newsletter that is really good. I've already seen several drafts of different weeks, and each week is going to have 5e content uh, that he's putting out there. Uh, uh, for you to kind of think about and also just other notes and things. It, it's going to be a collection. Um, but, but if you want like Troy's idea on monsters and magic items and archetypes and all sorts yeah. of stuff, it's good. It's good stuff. It's, um, it should be fun. We'll, we'll post that when, when that's available. Uh, let's round this out by saying uh, no matter where you're listening to this or watching this on, we'd appreciate it. If you would like subscribe, share, Give us stars, give us reviews, give us ratings, give us whatever you want. Uh, just give us. Um, <laughs> give, baby, give. Baby's got to live. Yep, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, I know it takes a little bit of time out of your day 
and I'm respectful of that. I don't do this for every show that I watch or every podcast episode or whatnot. So no, no, no hard feelings if you don't, but um, it would mean a tremendous amount to us. It really, really, really helps us get us our stuff out there. Um, and getting ourselves out there gets more people into this chat and gets more people into our Discord, gets more people at the tables that we're running for you all. And that's what we're really keen to do um, is build the community, build more games, get more people more excited about a whole bunch of systems and running their D&D games in a bigger and better way. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, here, Hino says, for the price it takes to feed an Ethiopian child, you could support these fine folks. Even less, even Holy less, yeah. you could both feed the Ethiopian child and support us for the same amount. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't realize that Sally Struthers listened to our podcast. <laughs> oh my god, throwback. <laughs> Toast from the loop, baby. Oh, it was, I, I didn't say it wasn't timely. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was his fight. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Gosh. All right. Well, with that, uh, thank you so much. I'm going to give a shout out to people in chat real quick here. Thank you to uh, Hirohito. Thanks to Beardroid. Thanks to Craig. Thanks to Girk. Thanks to Arctic Black. Thanks to Beardroid. Um, thanks to Ulysses and everybody else that I'm failing to mention. Uh, your friend Brett. Yep. Thanks, um, Brett, for coming out. You guys are all awesome. Really appreciate it. Come join the Discord if you haven't already. Um, yell at one of us if you need a link or pop over to our Facebook. Um, until next week and all those interviews, we'll see you next time. Have a great game, everybody. I'm going to grab me a Zemo. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Stay safe. Especially if you're drinking a Zemo. <laughs> <laughs> Later, everyone. Have a good night. Bye, everybody. All right, here we go. In three, two, hang on. Nope. You remember when this used to happen? <laughs>